John, we have the father of someone in the news this week. Absolutely. Pat Mahomes will be joining us, which is terrific. We both remember him from his Mets days. Had some good years. I think he was 8-0 one year. His son, Patrick, was around with the team, shagging balls on the outfield, showing that he was a prodigy. And we all know that he is the best quarterback in the game today. And great get by you to get Pat Mahomes. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's saying about his son and about his uh, the condition of his son's ankle. Well, he'll talk to us about his son, who's playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. We'll also ask him about those Met days and his playing days. You and I will talk about our biggest storylines coming up for spring training. And as always, we'll play hit and error to end the show. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayden. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. John, as we're taping this, we're about a week away from the start of spring training, a little earlier this year for a group of guys because of the WBC and then the whole group by midweek, the pitchers and catchers by midweek next week and everybody and not long after that. So not a ton of news. This is usually a quiet time, but the New York Post, the group of us, especially you, John, you got the first tip on this. Carlos Beltran was leaving the Yes broadcast booth to go back to the Mets, which is an interesting one because, of course, when last we joined Carlos Beltran in the Mets, he was their manager for about 60 days before he lost that job due to his involvement with the uh, sign-stealing scandal with the Astros. So what do you think about this? Good move, bad move, happy, sad? You know, I think it's a nice story, uh, even though, you know, not because it's our story. Uh, it's probably the right thing that he's with the Mets. Uh, it's probably the right thing that he's in a front office. He's obviously a great baseball mind. Uh, you know, being a manager, I'm not sure that's the right role for him anyway. The Mets have a great manager, the manager of the year, Buck Showalter. I kind of think uh, Eric Chavez is likely the next manager when they need one, which isn't anytime soon. So I think this is the right role uh, as far as, you know, Yankee broadcaster. I heard him. I thought he was fine. He was criticized a lot. And obviously the Yankees felt that he needed work. They were going to call him into the studio. So uh, it's probably best that he goes home, goes to the Mets, and goes to a role that he really fits. Yeah, I think it's a role he really fits. I thought he was terrible on yes. I, <laughs> well, you're on this guy. <laughs> I, I learned nothing from him in all the time he was on there. And that wasn't the, the person I knew. When he was a player, I certainly learned a lot from him because I think he learned a ton of baseball, whether he was holding back, et cetera, on the air. I don't know. Uh, I, a lot of this came up, John, when you and I talked about this on the the, the show uh, about when Beltran was up for the Hall of Fame. I, I think he's been punished plenty, right? Like he gets to the Hall of Fame. He probably has a good chance of getting in and deserves it. He hasn't really, he lost the job, Alex Cora and um, 
uh, AJ uh, Hinch came back after a year and got a job. He he deserves to work if he wants to work. And this feels like a first step back towards that. Oh, he definitely deserves to work. I'm not quite as sympathetic as, as you are. He was the one player mentioned. You were more sympathetic about him in the booth than me. We're playing. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're we're like going back and forth player. here. I, I didn't vote for him this year. I, I withheld the vote as a lot of people did. Uh, to me, he's clearly a Hall of Famer on merit, on his achievements as a baseball player. And I, as I said, I will vote for him next year. You may not love the fact that I withheld my vote this year. I knew he'd get the 5%. Uh, and I think that's the right result that he gets in into the Hall of Fame, but not on the first ballot. So uh, I think we have the right result all around here. I don't know what he thinks about it. Maybe we'll get him on someday. I, I don't know. I don't know, John. That's a pretty big storyline uh, going into spring training. Why don't, why don't we bat it around a little, John? I'll have you go first. Tell me, tell me like storylines you're looking forward to as this year begins. Well, I wrote about this in the post, and my number one storyline... It's a real good column. Everyone should go to nypost.com and, and go to John's story. Thank you very much. Uh, and my f- number one was Otani. Even though I, I think the Angels have less than a 5% chance uh, to lock him up in spring training, uh, we know they want to, uh, whether they'll be given that opportunity even to give it a shot. I don't know. It's up to him. He's a year away from free agency. Uh, it would be bizarre uh, at this point if we've got an all-time great player like this and still in his 20s uh, who accepts a contract. Now, he's been very reasonable about contracts to this point. He signed a two-year deal, ended up being one of the most underpaid players in baseball history last year at $5.5 million and uh, took the $30 million deal, which is a record uh, as an arbitration figure. Uh, this year. And, you know, he came here before he was a free agent and uh, he's been vastly underpaid. So he's not all about money. But that being said, I, I'm going to be shocked if they're able to do it. Obviously, Artie Moreno's still there. This is a guy I think he really wants to win. Can't blame him for that. They have not done that in Anaheim, L.A., whatever you want to call it yet. And uh, my belief is that their chances are zero or almost zero yet. I'm saying it's my number one storyline for the spring. Yeah, well, they don't win because of Artie Moreno. Not a, you know, like he 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 brought in. He was the motivating guy for Hamilton, for Poolholes, for Rendon. So he needs to look in the mirror why they're now winning with Otani and and Trout for a while. And when he's staying, and I, John, I agree with you. I think this is the year of Trout. Not only does he sign an extension, does he get traded in July? Otani, if, right? Yeah, yeah. If they're not involved in it, and his free agency, we're heading towards next offseason, will be the biggest ever. My first storyline is just—it's an obvious one for me—is just the rule changes, uh, and we're going to begin to see some issues in spring training, right? Because we got the WBC. The best players in the world are leaving for large chunks of a year where we have seismic changes when it comes to limited shifts, quicker pitch count. We also have a whole bunch of new umpires. I think 20 new umpires who are coming in at the trickiest time ever. Now they were in the minor leagues where all these rules were applied, but I'm fascinated to see how quickly players adapt. These are the best players in the world. They'll adapt, but it will be slow going at first. And since we know this, anytime they change any rules and they're changing more than ever, the whining and moaning by fans, coaches, managers, uh, players, et cetera, is going to be really something. Well, I don't want to hear about the pitch clock. They've adapted very easily in the minor leagues. Now, of course, minor leaguers have less room to whine. Uh, So, you know, I'm sure you're right that there's going to be some whining. Uh, I I do like the changes that were made by and large. Uh, I do like the banning of the shift. I do want to see that hard hit ball up the middle 
uh, still be a hit as it was for years until some genius, and he was correct, uh, decided to uh, shift against all of the great left-handed hitters in the game. So uh, it certainly will have a big effect on those left-handed hitters, the left, left-handed power hitters, who a lot of them, their batting averages. Rizzo's an obvious example for us New Yorkers, but uh, there are a ton of them. Corey Seager, uh, many, many guys who've seen their average go down by 50 points, and they're going to get their averages back, I think, and uh, it'll be better for the game. Uh, I like the pitch clock. I like the changes. So you're not going to hear any whining from me, that's for sure. Well, give me another storyline you're looking forward to, John. Well, I think the Pirates have the big guy to be potentially be traded in Brian Reynolds, a very good center fielder, good bat with some power, and they have not been able to get him on an extension. I hope the Pirates do it. I like some of what they did this winter, but this would be a big one for them. They've offered six years and about $76 million with no no option. So no club option, which is a plus, but I'm sure that he's looking for something in the nine figures, and I get it. I mean, I know that Murphy, Sean Murphy, signed for six years, $73 million with a player option, and this is a little bit better than that, but this being a center fielder, not a catcher, those prices are a bit higher, so... I hope they get down to try to assign him. I think that would be good for the Pirates. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen. He has asked for a trade. Obviously, the Yankees are one of the teams interested. As we know, they still have a left field situation. Marlins are a team that I've been told has been somewhat aggressive, but not aggressive enough. They're looking for a huge package. Some people have said a Soto-like deal. That's obviously not going to happen. I mean, you don't offer a guy $76 million when – Soto turned down $440 million and expect to get that same kind of a package. If they do trade him, they should get two very, very good prospects back at least, though. So it'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. He's the top guy out there on the trading block right now. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Soto. My suspicion is this goes into July, like Soto did last year, and that's the real deadline. I think August 1st, is, 6 p.m. is the trade deadline this year. You know, I'm going to mention something else that will play out in spring training, John, and that's the World Baseball Classic. I think that the best group of players they've gotten to agree to go are going to go. Now, there's a long time between here and there. So, you know, guys will drop out. As we know, the Yankees already kept Luis Severino out. I think they're trying to keep Nestor Cortez out. You know, they're the Yankees. They think there should be different rules for them than everybody else. But, but wait, wait a second. Should Severino really be playing? I mean, he's been injured a lot. I think that's the right but, call. But you yeah. know the Yankees. They they think that they're special. Uh, the <laughs> Well, I mean, they, are, they gonna, are the Yankees. So Yes, I want to throw out a couple of names for our listeners. They're, they're probably going to be posted after the season. So it's, don't just watch the guys you know, Trout, Kershaw, et cetera, right? Yoshi, you think I mess up American names, right? Yoshinobu Yamamoto is the reigning Pacific League MVP, the best pitcher in Japan, probably. He's almost certainly going to be posted after this year. 168 ERA last year, 205 strikeouts and 193 innings. And Jung-Ho Lee, the Korean left-hand hitting center fielder, he won the MVP there last year as well. 66 walks, 32 strikeouts, 25, uh, 23 homers. And one other player to keep an eye out, he's already said he likes the Yankees, but he can't be posted for three more years is the third baseman, Manitaka Marakomi, who hit 56 homers last year. So if you're watching these games, especially if Japan, Korea get into the next rounds where they come here, that should be fascinating for maybe our listeners to watch that group of players. Yeah, well, you know, they all they all like the – everybody likes the Yankees. Uh, Joel, they are, they are special. So uh, we're coming full circle on that. Uh, the Yankee 
the Yankees aren't the only ones who think that they're special. It's kind of a worldwide belief that they're special. And Yamamoto, uh, I mean, I've heard people say that he's better as a pitcher than Otani. Of course, overall, nobody's better than Otani. He's the best player in the world. I mean, Judge was maybe the best last year. I, I would say that's fair, but Otani's the best player in the world. You know, I'm going to be a little provincial with my last storyline, and that's a Yankee left field situation, which is getting a lot of play in New York, maybe outside of New York. Nobody cares. I do think the Yankees improved this year. They were not able to add that left fielder for whatever reason. As we do this, I mean, I know there have been talks with Profar. They've certainly been interested in Reynolds. I don't anticipate either one of those things happening in the next few days. You never know, but... For now, Aaron Hicks, I think, is the favorite. I don't know if they – have they actually said he's the favorite? It feels like yeah, he's Ryan the Cashman favorite. told me he's the favorite. All right. Well, maybe you're the favorite then because they didn't tell me that. But, uh, you know, I think the fans are going to be quite curious and have been kind here to see what Aaron Hicks can do coming off an injury and obviously had a poor season last year. I thought his Waldo Cabrera was pretty impressive in the limited time that we did see him. So I think they have a decent fallback option – uh, Esteban Floreal, the other option. I mean, he, he reminds me a little of Melky Cabrera, and then he looks terrible whenever we see him, and then he ended up having a great career, considered very talented. I don't know. He strikes out an awful lot. So, I, you know, I think that's kind of the long shot in the field. But I, I don't think it would be terrible if they ended up with Cabrera, but uh, keep an eye on what Hicks is doing, and if Hicks can't do it, uh, certainly the Yankees, they're near that threshold, and they don't want to go over that luxury tax threshold. $293 million. Uh, there's only one Steve Cohn, but, you know, if they have a chance to get Reynolds, it's something they like, they 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 will do that. Yeah, he reminds me more of Melky Mesa, if you remember him. Yeah, I do remember Melky Mesa. He, he, was a, he was a right-hand hitter as opposed to Floreal, but, like, he, the Yankees kept thinking the talent would be something that would work in the majors. It didn't. Uh, you know, I was going to go a different way, but because you did this, I actually think the bigger Yankee story going into spring training, if we're going to stay provincial, is Volpe and Peraza. Because to me, the only way they change their team and they beat the Astros in the postseason is if they become better at baseball. Like we know they could play the power game, both power pitching and power hitting, especially when Judge is healthy and thriving. But the offense generally doesn't work in the postseason. We see the Astros or in the right year, the Rays or the Red Sox or whoever are better at baseball than them. The sense we get from the people who run the Yankees minor leagues and quite frankly, scouts from other team are that Volpe and Peraza are good at baseball. They're good hitters. They can hit for some power. They play defense. They have speed in a year. Rule changes. Speed will be enhanced. The Yankees need those guys to be good baseball players starting in 2023. Derek Jeter won the rookie of the year as a rookie shortstop. And they won a World Series. It's hard to make everybody, anybody else, Derek Jeter. Though, though, to keep in mind, Jeter had a very good year, but like a year not that different from Jeremy Pena's year this year, last year, and they won the World Series. The Astros with a rookie shorts up. The Yankees need those two players to be good baseball players to maximize who they are in the present. Uh, well, there's only one Derek Jeter. I don't think we can count on anybody else being Derek Jeter, but uh, these are their 1996 top 1996 Derek Jeter. Yeah. Well, he was good. He was pretty in a home run. I remember in Cleveland. I can remember that day like it was yesterday. I'm sure he can. Uh, he was pretty good. I'm going to have to go back and look at the stats, but uh, I think they need one of them to at least one of them to come through for this year. And, and to me, it feels like it's probably Peraza. We saw a little bit of him last year. He was very good, uh, Very looked very capable at shortstop. Um, I guess you're in your scenario, you have Glaber traded probably, right? If you have both guys on the team and playing significant roles, you're thinking of a trade. 
they haven't found a trade for Glaber. They haven't found any of these trades. I, IKF, they've been talking about trading. I'm wondering, they may have made a mistake giving him the, uh, tendering him a contract and paying him $6 million at this point. I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't rule out that, uh, you know, the, the money does play. I would not be shocked if IKF is their shortstop and stuff. Would you be, you, would you be surprised by that? I, I wouldn't be, I, I, I like to see, I like to see Peraza, but. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, like I think Hicks is going to play in left field. Brian Cashman told me this wasn't about the money, right? I asked him if everybody made $720,000, which is the major league minimum, who would be the starting team? And he still told me Donaldson would be the third baseman and Hicks would be the favorite in left field. I I mean, I'm I'm not really sure I buy that, but uh, my gut, John, is they feel they have trades they could turn to for Torres and and, uh, IKF. If they have to in spring training, my thing, again, just to go back to the Jeter thing is Jeter was terrible in spring training in 1996. Terrible on both sides of the ball. But with George Steinbrenner as the owner, they committed to it because they believed in the player. At some point, the Yankees are going to have to get off the IKF train and this other train. Like if they're going to maximize it, tell me one of these guys is the starter and go with it and then figure out the other stuff. You'll make trades, et cetera. I think they have to commit to a guy, and that guy can't be IKF, who's too nervous to play in this marketplace at a high level. I think IKF can play shortstop probably somewhere else. I think he's yeah, Kansas got City. capability. Well, no, there's more than Kansas City. Not everybody's the Yankees, as they'll point out to you, and I, I agree with that. They are special, and it is more difficult, and we've seen guys, mostly pitchers, come over here and not be themselves, and maybe that's behind the IKF in the playoffs. Um, by and large, he was okay during the regular season, I thought. But uh, so you could live with him as the shortstop. I t- do tend to agree he'd be better elsewhere. I thought Peraza looked very solid. I think he'd be very good. Uh, let's not forget, though, that Jeter, you know, your memory's better than mine for what happens in spring training. I know that was a big spring training, and I should probably remember that Jeter was terrible. But let's not forget that the year before, year, uh, year and a half before there was a strike and we watched him in the minors and even we didn't watch him, we saw the stats uh, he was hitting 350 at every level so we, we kind of knew at some point whether that was the point or not uh that he was going to be a superstar i'm not sure we know that about uh, Vol- even volpe or peraza at this point but peraza looks ready as a shortstop so to me uh, I get Hicks in left field. I kind of think it should be Peraza at shortstop for the Yankees. Yeah, they've got to commit to it. Uh, Jeter was a top 5'10 prospect going into the 96 season. So is Volpe this year. At some point, you got to you got to go with the young guys. On the subject of a young guy, I hear the Super Bowl is coming up this week, John. And Patrick Mahomes Jr. is the quarterback for one of the teams. You are an expert. We have his dad, who also played for 11 years in the major leagues. Pat Sr. coming up if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Amon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and we're so happy to have as our guest, 11-year major leaguer, six teams, uh, got to know him a little bit when he was with the Mets in 1999 and 2000. That's Pat Mahomes. He's a great guest this week because this is the nexus between baseball and football. Of course, his son is the starting star quarterback for the Chiefs, who plays Sunday in the Super Bowl and against the Eagles. And I, I spent time Pat, trying to figure out what's the right question to ask, a baseball question or a football question to open this. And I realized we have a newsmaker in some ways on our show this week. What's up with the right ankle hurt around the world? How is your son going into the game on Sunday? Well, I think he's improving every day. Um, uh, all the uh, reports I'm getting from him, he, um, which he's not going to tell me the whole full truth, but uh, he said getting better every day. Uh, just general soreness, and uh, he feels like he's going to be ready to go. Pat, uh, John Heyman here. Uh, I, I've got to ask you now. Obviously, he was the 10th pick overall, so uh, a lot of people saw stardom in him. When did you realize or think that he was going to be a superstar in the NFL? Well, I don't know if I ever thought he was going to be a superstar. I thought that um, he started making some really good progress there uh, about his sophomore year there at Texas Tech. And I uh, thought then I said, OK, he's got a chance, you know. But, you know, being in the, in the air raid system, so-called, you know, Big 12, you know, the way they played, hadn't been a lot of guys that had been successful, you know, in, in the NFL there. But um, I knew that the way he studied the tape, the way he retained information and some of the throws and stuff that he could do, I thought, you know, maybe he'd have a chance to go up there. And I figured it wouldn't it wouldn't be as quick as it happened, but I thought he would be all right once he uh, got it all figured out. You mentioned his throwing. Uh, I don't know if everyone who listens will know your son was the 37th round pick of the Detroit Tigers back in 2015. Uh, like yourself, he was a three-sport star in high school. Did you ever have a moment where you thought he'd be following you into baseball instead of football? And if not, what what was the change there? Well, I mean, that is uh, – yeah, he ended up getting drafted in the uh, 37th round, but that was um, really kind of distorted. You know, um, they actually called him the first day of the draft and uh, offered him a nice amount of money to uh, sign. And he told him that he was going to go play football, so did not sign. So then once, after that was done, uh, Detroit called us a little later after we was on our way to Lubbock. And uh, they told him they were going to draft him because he was, you know, such a nice kid and everything, and they wanted him to have that on his mantle. But to tell you the truth, I've all thought, you know, my whole life that he was going to be a baseball player. And that's the way things were trending until – he stepped on the football field his uh, junior year and got to be the quarterback and just fell in love with it. You know, I think you told a really good story to Steve Serby, and I was wondering if you could repeat it now. Uh, I think you mentioned that uh, originally they put him at shortstop and his arm was too good for the first baseman. And what happened from there? I guess they, they didn't let him play shortstop after that, or they told him he had to throw a certain way. It was just too good. Well, what happened was uh, we went to um, – tryouts or whatever the first practice or whatever and uh they had the kids lined up at shortstop first 
over there, and they would hit them ground balls, and, you know, you throw it over to first base, they were trying to see what they had, you know, for as far as, you know, all the players. And uh, Patrick got his, and uh, he fired it over to the first baseman. And the first baseman misjudged it, and the ball went right over his glove and hit him right between the eyes wearing glasses, and they just shattered him. And so the coach the coach said, uh, just um, – throw the ball three quarters of the way there and let it roll that way we're going to have to do it. And I told the coach, I said, no, I said, we're not going to do that. I going to teach him how to, how to throw the ball bad, you know? So just put Patrick at first base and then let the other kids go. And then once we get somebody that can catch the ball, he can move back to shortstop. Yeah. You know, Pat, uh, there were some beautiful pictures as part of that story of, of your son shagging uh, when you were with the Mets. And you had a good story there also where he's – is he five years old, six years old? He's not that old in those those pictures. And I think Bobby Valentine had some concerns about him being out there, and you dispelled those concerns pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah, he was uh, four years old when I first started taking him there. That was in 99. And, um, you know, I got him in a little uniform. I had uh, the equipment ma- manager uh, make him a, a uniform. And, you know, I had a little locker right there beside by it. And um, – shower shoes, the whole get up. And so I would take him out to the field and Bobby called me in the office. He was like, Hey, he said, he's a little small to be, you know, going out there. And I was like, well, he'll be all right. You know, um, you know, I'll be around him and whatever. And he goes, well, you know, when y'all got to do stuff, hit and do different things, who's going to be out there with him? He might get hit. And I said, well, I can tell you one thing, Bobby, if he gets hit, I said, I promise you, he won't do it again. So he's going to be okay. So <laughs> after Bobby saw him out there running around and tracking the balls and having an idea of what he was doing, he was like, okay, that's fine. And and we went from there. You know, next thing you know, he was catching balls off the big leaguer's bat. I think the first one he caught, uh, Robin Ventura hit, and he caught it in uh, – Probably it's probably the happiest day of his life, you know, going <laughs> to that point. I can't even imagine a five-year-old catching a fly, a 375-foot fly ball. Uh, obviously, a prodigy. And of course, I, I touched base with Bobby this morning, and now he remembers that uh, Patrick. He said was he was actually better than some of our uh, outfielders. I think he was <laughs> kidding, but <laughs> uh, you know, Bobby. Um, you know, I want to ask, you know, we mentioned he was a 10th pick overall. And I, I, I know this, if there are any Chicago Bears fans listening, they're going to feel bad about this. What was his reaction? There were the Bears traded up to get Mitch Trubisky and pick him with a number two pick. You know, there are a lot of uh, quarterbacks who fall in the draft for whatever reason. I guess, for some reason, it's hard to decide based on what they do in college, who's going to be a great quarterback, who's going to be the best. We all know Brady was picked number 199, and Joe Montana was in the third round, 10th pick overall, still pretty good. What what was that day like? What was the reaction like? And did he ever – I mean, 10th isn't too bad, but did he ever feel – I mean, he's clearly the best of them all at this point. Uh, was there ever a chip on his shoulder that, why they picked somebody before me at, at, at quarterback? Well, I, I don't I don't think there was anything actually on draft that before draft day um, when uh, Patrick decided that he was going to apply for the draft and enter the draft. He got a, a late first to second round grade, which is where they projected him to go, which I wasn't that worried about because I knew that once he got in front of the people and started, you know, recalling the plays and 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 doing the install and doing all that stuff that they would see that he was uh a lot more intelligent than people thought you know 
coming out of college. And uh, once he got in those rooms, I knew his, his uh, stock was going to rise. But he went on like a few of those visits where, you know, I think he went to Houston, he went to Chicago, he went to um, New Orleans, uh, Kansas City, of course, and a couple others and got to, you know, spend a day with them and, and do all the stuff. And they were so impressed, you know, with what he could do that they told him that they were going to draft him, you know, with their pick. And then once the draft started and that didn't happen, you know, I think it kind of lit a little fire on them, you know, and uh, and as you saw, you know, when he was counting the fingers and doing all that stuff, you know, that's the stuff that motivates him. And he's such a competitor that anything like that can, you know, easily, um, you know, tick him up a little bit. And um, so, you know, every time we play the Bears, I mean, they better be ready to go. <laughs> you know, Pat, if I'm thinking of anyone who your son reminds me of, it's actually not a football player. He actually reminds me of Steph Curry, a lot also the son of a former player in that it feels like he's changed the game. There's a smoothness to how he plays. And now every quarterback is trying to be like him, like everybody's trying to be like Steph Curry now and shoot. And it's it's not possible. I mean, you know, there's the best and then there's everyone else. I just wonder, you're watching the guy there in, in sports in our country. Is there anything more powerful than being the quarterback at any point? Do you have this? I can't believe this is my son. He's the best player at the most important position in sports in this country. Well, he, you know, the, the guy that I always said he reminded me of was uh, Steve McNair a little bit, you know, kind of a, you know, a tougher kid that, that, you know, would stand in and take the hits and all that and had the scrambling ability and be able to throw the ball. So as I've been watching, you know, I can see a lot of uh, different people in him. Uh, for him to ascend to where he has ascended so far, you know, it's, you know, shocking and surprising, which I can't say that, you know, much because I've been with him ever since, you know, he started playing sports and I've seen him play three different sports and, He's always, you know, been one of the best players, if not the best player on every team that he's ever been on. But he's always, you know, lifted his teammates up, too. So I'm shocked it happened so quick, but I'm not shocked in what has happened. But I'm very proud to say that, you know, I feel like we've done some things right. You you obviously have. You know, I, I want to since you both played both sports and, and other sports, uh I want to ask you, first of all, what's his involvement with the uh, Royals? I know that he is a part owner of the team. Uh, does he have any input on what's going on with the Royals? And also for you, you had a more than a 10-year career in Major League Baseball, uh, but I understand you were a, a big star in football. Why, why did you not play football? Well, the reason why I didn't play football um, was because I, I don't like to get hit. You know, so, you know, I thought I was going to be an outfielder in the big leagues and end up being a pitcher. You know, I ended up getting drafted as a pitcher when everybody told me I was going to be drafted as an outfielder. But uh, either way, I, you know, unless the ball came back and hit me, I mean, I didn't have to worry about getting hit. So he's a little bit tougher than I am. I, I can honestly say that. And uh, actually, I was going to go play basketball at the uh, University of Arkansas. That's where I signed out of, out of high school. That's where I committed to. But it ended up being a deal where um you know he just loved the game and he loved everything that it did that it did for him 
that it did for him. And so he just fell in love with it and he's been studying ever since. You know, Pat, uh, if I could just flip it over to your career, you know, I think your best season was 99 with the Mets. Uh, you were 8-0 for a team that finished tied for the wild card. So like, you don't go 8-0. They don't play the game against the Reds that got them in. They beat Arizona. They beat Atlanta. I want to focus on a game, and you tell me if it was the highlight of your career. I mean, unfortunately, it came in a loss. The Mets lose the first three games of the NLCS. They win the next two. Al Leiter gives up four runs before, doesn't get an out, gets taken out of the game. You come in with first and third and no out. I think a sacrifice fly by Brian Hunter, but you pitch four shutout innings and put the Mets back in line. They actually led twice in a game that they were losing 5-0. I think it was 8-7, uh, 9-8, and they eventually lose 10-9 in 12 innings. Did you guys actually believe that you were going to be the first? Step? Remember, this is pre-Yankees Red Sox, the first team ever that came back from a 3-0 deficit to win a series. Uh, I think we actually thought it. You know, once we got to going, we got those two games, that Grand Slam single or whatever you want to call it. You know, momentum was riding high. And um, funny story about that game is um, I had pitched the previous two games and I was asking Al Jackson in the bullpen that day, I was like, who do you think going to be the first guy up? And he was like, probably you. And I'm like, there's no way. I mean, Dotel hasn't pitched, Kenny Rogers hadn't pitched, or Hershiser hadn't pitched, you know. So... I'm thinking one of those guys would be the first guy up. And at that time, the phone rings and it's them telling me to get up. And, you know, coming in, you know, man on first and third, no outs, down four nothing, knowing what was on the line. I would have to say it was the highlight of my career to be able to uh, go out there and give us four innings and not give up any more runs and keep us in that ball game. Well, we have you within a week of the Super Bowl, uh, so I've got to ask you, uh, what's your uh, prediction for the game, and uh, why are quarterbacks graded on the number of Super Bowls they win? I mean, obviously, any quarterback who makes the NFL is unbelievable. The ones who make the Super Bowl, even better, but, uh, you know, they decide who the best are by how many Super Bowls they win. I mean, I couldn't argue with Brady at this point, but... Uh, is that fair that uh, that's how we judge who the top five quarterbacks are? And does he have that in his mind that he wants to be, I don't know if you can be number one to be Brady, that's pretty hard, but to be near the top? Well, I mean, I, what I know is that, uh, you know, he wants to be the best that he can be. So if that includes, you know, several Super Bowls, you know, so be it. But I know he goes out there every day with the plan to uh, to get better each day and uh, try to win as many ball games as possible. And, and that's all you can do and let, you know, the results be what they want to be. But I can definitely tell you, yes, he has a desire to be the best player in, in the NFL. And uh, he'll keep on going and playing the game. And then at the end of it, everybody can look back and then you can make your decisions then. You know, as far as winning, you know, several Super Bowls and being judged on that, you know, it's a team sport. So, you know, all you can do is try to put your team in the best position to win, try to get there as much as possible and try to, you know, win as many as you can. And other than that, I mean, there's nothing else you can do, whether it's fair or not. I mean, it's just the way it is. You know, the Eagles are favored. So I should ask you, follow up. You, you guys feel confident uh, you guys are going to be able to uh, win this one? I know he's one and one already. He's already been in, this is the third Super Bowl. Incredible. Does he feel good about this one? I mean, the Eagles have been been really good this year. Anytime Andy Reid is on that sideline, you know, I feel good about it. Um, I know Patrick's going to try to execute his game plan as best as possible. Uh, you got Kelsey, you got the, the defense playing good and everything. So, 
I'm excited to see what happened. I think it's going to be a great game, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, we come out on top on this one. I, I feel good about it. I'm not nervous about it, so we'll just go play the game, and we'll see what happens. Well, to wrap it up, you, met, you mentioned Andy Reid. I'm, I'm going to bring you back. John mentioned his name earlier. We'll be provincial. We're both New York writers. Can you tell us about your New York experience? You played for Bobby Valentine. Not everybody loved playing for Bobby Valentine. You mentioned a lot of names. That was an exceptional team. Ventura, you mentioned, Hershiser, Rogers, Dotel in the bullpen, also Benitez and Franco, uh, Mike Piazza. That was what was your experience like? It was back when Shea Stadium was still open playing for Bobby Valentine and the Mets? Well, I love Bobby Valentine. I know that uh, a lot of people have a hard time playing for him, but he had the utmost, you know, trust in me. He put me in a lot of great situations, uh, situations where I could, you know, where I could do my best. And um, I love him. I love those teams with the Mets. Those two years were, were the best two years of, of my professional career. I love the city, love the fans. I think that's what kept me going. That's what made me 8-0. That's what made me never lose a game in, at Shea Stadium. You know, is that I knew that if I didn't go out and perform, I was going to hear it. So I didn't want to hear it. So I went out there every time and, you know, gave it my all. And I love that city. Uh, I actually went back for the Old Timers Day this year. And uh, I had a great time as usual, and they've always treated me well. So, yeah, I love my time in New York. Well, I know this is a precious week for a father to see their son excel at this level. Enjoy the week. Best of luck to your son. And thank you for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Well, thank you all for having me. And uh, anytime, man, just, uh, you know, give them my boy Jay Horace. Let me know. <laughs> and always there for y'all. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. And John, we get to play hit or error again to end our show. Hit or error. I'm going to play you and I'm going to give an error. And somebody you alluded to earlier in the show, Artie Moreno, staying with the Angels. I'm going to say that's an error, probably not for him, but for baseball and for the Angels organization. Their best hope to keep Shohei Otani, which is where all eyes are on right now. If you're in Anaheim, Los Angeles area, and you're an Angels fan, keeping Shohei Otani is everything. And they had a shot. Joe Lacob was one of the five viable entries who are going to be bidding on the Angels. He has run the Golden State Warriors. You're more of a basketball guy than I am, but you know that he's kept his stars. He kept Steph Curry, who you mentioned earlier in the show. He's kept Draymond Green. He's had a bunch of stars. They've won a, multiple championships there, and he was one of the main bidders, and I thought that was their best hope to keep Otani in Anaheim or L.A., whatever you want to call it, and uh, – Moreno loves baseball, so I give him credit for that. But uh, I think he should have sold the team if they want, if he wanted to do right by Angels fans. I think we've done this four times. Am I right that you have two hits and two errors in that time? That sounds right. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to tie you at fifty percent with all the negative talking. I know you're going to say last week wasn't a hit or whatever nonsense, but my hit is simply going to be that the next time we talk, spring training will have begun. The people who are involved with the WBC get to come a little earlier, starting on literally the day after the Super Bowl, the Monday. Uh, by the middle of the week, it's pitchers and catchers for real for everyone. About five days later, it's hitters. Uh, we'll join them and it will be full squad. Johnny, after all these years, and I, it's over 30 spring trainings I've covered, I still like spring training. It isn't as good as it used to be because there used to be more time and no internet and cameras. And so players would talk to you a little longer. You would have a more, better relationship, uh, which I think building relationships is what our business is about. Uh, so you could produce the best product. 
possible. It's still the place though, where you could, it's a little calmer. You could be on the field. You could be talking to players, executives, coaches, and I look forward to spring training every year. And so my hit is simply getting to go down to spring training again. I like it. The positive Joel Sherman. Yes. Beautiful. I'm with you. Spring training is uh, fabulous. I think it's better. Port St. Lucie's improved. I still say Tampa's improved. You may disagree, but I uh, love to get to Arizona as well, which is Both convenient. Of them improved. Yeah, absolutely. Remember uh, early on, they were kind of little cow towns and they've, they've grown up quite a bit. Yeah. Well, the next time uh, we'll be talking to you will be from spring training. I believe John is opening in Port St. Lucie. I'm opening in Tampa. We'll do a flip-flop after about a week or so. I think we're both going to Arizona this year, and we're going to continue to try to do the show each week, which is a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew Hartz, who always does such a great job navigating us through as producer of this show. This podcast drops on the Yes app on Tuesday at noon, because we went a little earlier this week uh, with our guest, Patrick Mahomes. So don't forget, uh, Tuesday afternoon, about noon on the on the Yes app, this drops. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And the navigation starts for real. Bats and balls, pitchers and catchers. By the next time we talk to you, that's it. If you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayman.